0: Hi, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Pregnancy Parenting and Politics, the podcast where we just keep on talking about that stuff. I uh, am going to keep the rambling short this week because there's so much going on on this hot August day. Too much to keep up. For those of you who are newcomers to the podcast here, I am the author of the book Common Sense Pregnancy, I'm a registered nurse with almost 20 years experience working in labor and delivery, and I'm the mother of quite a few grown-up kids. I've been interested in politics my whole darn life right up to today, and all I can say is, what a fascinating time to be alive. Uh, I live here in Portland, Oregon, which continues to be gorgeous and peaceful now that the federal agents have backed the heck off. Um, And it's like that almost all over town. Last week, we talked about the wall of moms. And since then, there's been some level of administrative controversy, which I encourage you to log on to their website and educate yourself about. Tell you what, politics and protests get messy and... I applaud every single mother and father and grandparent who put their body between protesters, federal agents, and those supporting Black Lives Matter. You were brave. Thank you for standing up for all of us. Let's see. Also in politics, um, I listened to President Obama's eulogy of John Lewis last week and was fully inspired by his message, his elegance, and his masterful command of speech-making at its finest. What an artist. It was a thing of beauty, and I'm so glad I got to hear it. Um, if you haven't listened to it yet, do so. It's, you know, just the just the tonic we need during these really, really disturbing times. Um, so like I said, we're going to keep things super short today and get right to this week's guest, and uh, we're going to turn the focus back on the pregnancy and parenting part of this po- podcast. excuse me. We've been in politics land for a bit now. Um, I want to talk about something that a lot of parents are concerned about. Um, a lot of parents are concerned about or are living with children with disabilities, developmental disabilities, physical disabilities. Our guest this week, Dr. Shelley Dry, is a pediatric therapist and mental health expert who works with families and children to help them thrive. Um, so without further ado, let's get Dr. Shelly Dry on the line. Hi, Shelley. It's Jeannie. Hi, Jeannie. It's good to talk to you tonight. Yeah, you too. So you said tonight you must be on the East Coast. Where are you? I am. I'm in Kentucky. Ah, okay. I'm in Portland, Oregon. Okay. Yes, it's a little bit
1: earlier for you.
0: It is. It is. It's just, you know, tea time here. Yeah. <laughs> and it's um traditional Portland summer right now, which is kind of drizzly and gray. It's a little bit gross. What do you got?
1: We have 90 degree weather and it's beautiful outside.
0: <laughs> I'm I'm just so jealous. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I was in Portland last year though. I do like your your weather there.
0: Oh, good. Yeah. Well, good. That's a good thing. Yeah. Well, Shelly, you and I have quite a lot to talk about. So before I got you on the line today, I um, you know, read a little bit of your bio and I mentioned that you are a pediatric therapist and that you work with um, infants and toddlers with developmental delays. But my first hard question is always this, who are you and what do you do? Okay. Well, as you mentioned, I'm a pediatric occupational
1: therapist and I absolutely love working with children of all ages and all abilities. And I have specialized in uh, mental health and also integrated a lot of work for children with autism. But I, I, my skills range from all ages and all abilities, all levels. So I really enjoy doing feeding therapy and working with children who have difficulty eating and chewing and swallowing some of those uh, texture sensitivities and um, individuals with sensory processing delays. And then I really enjoyed when I spent a lot of time doing mental health. I I think that's an important part of, um, and it's an important thing to bring into every aspect of treatment.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more. It has to be so stressful. Yeah. But I'm, I'm curious about the rest of you. When you're not being an occupational therapist, what's your life like?
1: Oh, I have so many things I enjoy. I love being outdoors and hiking. I love to do yoga. Um, I just like to be involved in a lot of different things that I have. You know, I spend time with my family and my children and,
0: mm. and,
1: going out and about and um just kind of engaging in whatever's available
0: nice nice but your work is your full-time gig so tell me a little bit about your career path how did you find your way this into this this setting shelly are you there i'm here
1: yeah i lost you all for a minute
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 All right. Hang on one second. Okay. So the question was, um, you've, you've, you know, you're, I'm curious about your, your career path, how you found your way into this particular occupation.
1: Well, um, it really happened for me when I was talking to a friend of mine, and she was mentioning all the different things an occupational therapist can do, and their approach is more of a holistic approach, and as the more she was talking about it, she had her daughter had Down syndrome, and she was explaining some of the things that they were working on and how the occupational therapist was helping her, and I found it fascinating. And I started exploring it more. I knew I'd always wanted to be in therapy in some way, but I was thinking more along um, speech therapy or physical therapy. But as soon as I heard about occupational therapy, I knew that was the best fit for me Um, because it is a holistic approach and you combine every aspect of what's going on in the child's life to help them make improvement.
0: Yeah. You heard the bell ring. (laughs) Yes, yeah. most yeah. definitely. Were you in college when that happened? Yes. Yeah. So then, to become an occupational therapist, it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty difficult educational process. Or at least I know out here, it's a very competitive healthcare field. Is it like that where you are as well? It is. It's.
1: Uh, it takes a lot of people several times to get into the. The field, because there's um, a limited number of colleges and a lim- limited number of applications that they can accept. Um, so it, it is very intense. And you have to do even once you're in the program, it's very intense because you're learning, you know, neuro kinesiology, um, every bit of the body and the mind and how it works together. Um, so the, the studies are intense. And then you throw in psychology and some of those aspects on there. Getting into the program was competitive, but um, it's definitely worthwhile. So anyone who's thinking along those lines, I've I've enjoyed my career immensely, and it's always changing. It never gets boring.
0: And you have a lot of autonomy, don't you? I mean, you're you're pretty much self-directed, or or do you have people over you telling you what to do? Well,
1: I, I've I've um, always had a lot of autonomy and and it's kind of, it's really, it's a career that can be fit to the person. So there are people who prefer to have other people kind of guiding them along their way. And and that works also. I've um, been in private practice for a long time and and now I'm the director of clinical operations that enable my child and I help other therapists um, learn how to use their skills
0: Right. So, um, you know, when we got in touch, you know, we, we discussed talking about how to recognize and treat developmental delays in infants and toddlers. And I, um, you know, as an ex-labor and delivery nurse, I was present many times for births where um, a baby was very obviously born with Down syndrome. And most of the time, the parents were surprised and shocked. You know, they, they hadn't found out previously that they were carrying a child who was differently abled. And it was sometimes m- such a beautifully poignant moment when a brand new, fresh, raw parent takes a look at their child and sees them as they are and wholeheartedly accepts them. I mean, it's just it's a thing of beauty to see that and I bet you've seen that many times. But I'm wondering Yeah, tell me about your experience. Yeah. With- I was going to say
1: I've I've seen that aspect of it and another thing is the appreciation of just those little steps and those those very small steps when a child Um, struggles with development, you take every bit of joy you can out of even just a tiny movement forward. And it is a beautiful thing to see. And it's so nice to be able to be engaged in that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about a common experience that you've had with a parent who is maybe, I don't know, maybe they're just beginning to recognize that their child isn't meeting certain developmental milestones. What's it like? There, there's different um,
1: stages the parents will go through. I've, I've worked with so many different families that are, are so open and accepting to any new ideas because they want to do whatever they can to help their child improve. Mm-hmm. And I've had other families who have been a little bit scared about what they're going to learn. So you have to take each parent where they are, meet them where they are, and just support them as they are are coming coming to understand what they can do to help their child
0: get better. I imagine that addressing the mental health component and, and helping them to accept that they've got a child that might be different than the child that they originally thought they'd have is a huge, huge service. And part of therapy part of it really yes it really is Jeannie you want to um,
1: support not only the child but the family members and not just the parents but I love to include siblings into therapy sessions because this this child does not develop isolated from everyone else And it's the child is part of the family. So you want to bring those siblings in. And I always like to have them ask questions and be engaged. And a lot of times you can um, help that sibling interact and engage, but you'll see so much more progress when it's coming from one of their family members, if they're doing some of the same things that you would be doing.
0: And I imagine that, you know, helping a sibling, become incorporated into their, their lives, their care, maybe a little bit, or just, you know, helping them figure out what it's like to be the sibling of a child who may be getting all the family attention, or a lot right. of it. Yeah, know. yeah, the the child does, um, you know, need a lot more attention
1: and, and a lot more care. But having the sibling, I've had siblings who have started singing, and they're, they are the the child um, who needed the extra help just calms down immediately where they may have been upset and their sibling will come up. I've had another uh, twin of a child who had cerebral palsy and we were working on eating with him and he was having a lot, lot of difficulty managing his mouth. And she came up and she said, she was two years old and she said, let me do it. And she took the spoon he opened it up, opened his mouth, he took the bite, he smiled, he moved the food around. It was just, it was beautiful. And so you can get a lot out of siblings and you can also help, help the, you can help the siblings learn to engage, but you can also help the child by using their siblings.
0: Um, you know, a lot of my listeners are either pregnant or they are pretty new parents and they're not maybe quite familiar yet with the idea of developmental milestones. And um, I wonder if you could you know help us define that a little bit.
1: Sure. And it's important for everyone to know uh, their that their, their child develops along their own path. Um, we do have milestones that kind of tell, a person where the child should be, but that's a range of months that something could occur. So if you're looking at one of the major milestones like walking, then you have a a significant range of time where that milestone may occur. So while we do have developmental milestones as our markers, we wanna make sure that we're not just comparing to a, a specific age or a specific milestone. So most children walk around 12 months, but you can go up to 15 months. You have children who walk at 10 months. You know, five months is a big range when you're talking about development. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the milestones are wonderful for, for letting us know and giving us a guide as to what should be happening and and what should be occurring next. So, it you know, it, if you see the child developing along their own path and they're developing steadily, it's less worrisome than a child who is jumping around in their development.
0: Huh. Jumping around in their development. That's not something that I'd really, I'd never thought of it quite that way. I've thought about it like, you know, moving slowly along the path, but what do you mean by jumping around in their development?
1: So if you have a child who's really strong in, verbal skills, but they're not developing in other areas near as quickly, Um, then, then you're going to be concerned, you know, about what else is going on. So you may have, um, you have, you may have this child who can, who can talk and do all these other things, but they're not yet sitting up and they're not, you know, they're not moving. That would be an obvious sign, an obvious red flag, but, um, sometimes you'll see like a really strong skill in just one area of development, but you're not seeing the other areas of development coming along with that skill.
0: Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Now I know what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. I know that um, I was particularly worried about my oldest daughter, you know, as a brand new inexperienced parent, because at 14 months, she could, she was saying a couple words um, but she wasn't walking yet, and I was really pretty concerned about it. Um, by the time she was 18 months, she was, you know, speaking full sentences and walking like crazy. But mm-hmm. there was that moment of concern of like, oh, what's going on here? Yeah, she was fine. It was me. It, you know, I just needed to <laughs> chill the heck out.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. and it's so hard as a parent because you do you do worry about your children and sometimes you know you're you're looking for these things to occur and they don't occur exactly when you expect them and it, it is worrisome
0: kids do tend to do things their own way and they do tend to you know make it a point of proving to parents that they are their own little being thank you very much yeah <laughs> so for a lot of parents that moment of recognition that their child might need additional help comes in the pediatrician's office and then somehow they find their way to you. How does that happen?
1: Now that can happen in any number of ways. If we're talking about a child who's zero to three, then a lot of times the pediatrician may refer them to early intervention, and that's available in every state. And the early intervention system is to help those young babies up to age three get a good good head start. We know that if we start therapy. Um, even even at birth, then we're going to make our gains a lot a lot more quickly or more rapidly than we will if we wait it um, till they were five or six or a little bit older. So, the pediatrician will most likely refer the family to early intervention, and as I said, that's a state-run program. They have all disciplines um, available to serve the child's needs, and they um, They will come to the family home in most cases and work with the family right in their home and then kind of coach the parents on things they can do. Sometimes it may just be changing the way you you set up your environment to help the child. If they're working on crawling, you might want them crawling over things. So you might throw pillows on the floor. It might be something simple, but the early intervention providers are really skilled in that area. and. How to come into the home and help the family learn things that they can do on a day-to-day basis.
0: So you um, mentioned you. Oh, go ahead, please. I was just gonna. So that's
1: early intervention. That's if if the child's under three. But there's other ways that that the pediatrician can either refer to a therapist. They can just uh, recommend, you know, that the family call local therapists. A lot of a lot of families will talk to other friends and they'll make recommendations. So there's just so many different ways you can get connected with a therapist, but there there's, um, I mean, you can even go to your insurance company and they'll tell you who's on, on your plan and who's available.
0: Okay. So, you know, without identifying any patients or anything, I'm wondering if you could share some stories about some little ones who have found their way to your office and what it, what your experience working with them has been like. Maybe just tell us a story or two.
1: Sure. Um, I have worked with thousands of children.
0: So let me see. Um, That's going to be hard to I narrow I can tell it down, you a story about
1: a child who came in when she was. Uh-oh, it um, looks
0: like I lost you there again. She was about there?
1: 13 months. And this was a child who um, did not qualify for early intervention. You have to have pretty significant okay. delays to qualify. Shelly,
0: Shelley, yes. I'm sorry. I, I lost you there about uh, 15 seconds ago. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to ask the question again. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So could you just tell us um, a, maybe a couple of stories about some of the kids that have come into your office and, and what your experience working with them has been like? okay uh, so i was i was starting to tell you about a
1: child who was about 13 months old when she came in to see me and she was she was not a child who qualified for early intervention because her delays were not very severe but her mother knew that there were there were some things going on um, she wasn't engaging with other people, and she wasn't making eye contact, and there were a lot of red flags that her mother had, Uh, so we started out just um, with play, and we we did a lot of play, and I, I did a lot of education with the family on different ways they could engage her through play, and as we pulled out some of the toys and we were working I was using an approach called the DIR approach which is a floor time approach developed by Stanley Greenspan and we're working back and forth and the mother's very involved in the session and I was helping her be more involved the child came through the tunnel and she put her arms around her mother's neck and it was the first time she had hugged her and said Mm -hmm. love you. Oh uh, yeah. And and we all teared up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And, and I just continued with that family for um, quite a few years. The child did end up having a diagnosis and um, she did, her, her mother was right on target. She did need a lot of support in her life. And eventually we added in other therapies to help her continue her progression. Um, But the, the gain she made, were so significant and just to be a part of those special moments in life is one of the things that makes being a therapist worthwhile.
0: I bet. So um got another one? That was pretty good. Love <laughs> the one. Yeah. I I was working in a
1: in um an inpatient psychiatric facility. And we had a child come in who was um, completely blind from birth and he did not have a way to communicate. And he was, um, he had, besides being blind, he had a diagnosis of autism and he'd like to isolate and he had been, um, not been able to eat. So he was getting all, his, all of his nutrition through just drinking um, insure. And so we started out with him um, just using his music because that's what he loved. And we would have him in his room with his music. And we started teaching him how to engage with other people. Um, And we developed a communication board that he could made out of objects. And we taught him how to tell us what he wanted. And this child went from eating nothing. We took a, a very... Very systematic approach to teaching him how to play with food and get used to the way it felt in his hands before he got it into his mouth. And he started um, making requests using his object board by pulling mm-hmm. a spoon mm-hmm. off to go eat. And he started making requests to um, take walks with us. We taught him to use a cane. And um, he was able to go from not wanting to be around anyone to running out and sitting with all the, the friends in, the, in um, the TV area of the room. Mm. And mm. eventually we were able to transition him back out into the community. And he just he just blossomed. He was a wonderful child and he made such progress.
0: Mm. You taught him how to communicate what he who he was.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, giving him a way to communicate really made a big difference, and then, and then just teaching him how to, you know, how to interact and be around other people. He started giving hugs and he started being very loving. Where he, when he first came into us, he didn't want anyone touching him. Yeah, so. I
0: bet. Yeah, I often think that the reason why it's so hard to manage two year olds is because they're still pretty nonverbal and they simply can't say this is what I want. This is who I am. This is what I need. If, you know, all babies would come into the world completely verbal and communicative, wouldn't it be easier? (laughs) (laughs) I think it would be. I think you've got a point there. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And yet what I like about that story is that there are so many ways that our children communicate their needs to us. And if, you know, there's more than one way. It doesn't have to be any, you know, kids, kids are adaptable and they'll keep trying as long as we keep listening.
1: Oh, they're definitely adaptable. (laughs) You're you're right. And they'll communicate to us in other ways. And it's really up to us to find the way that works best for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So how do you help parents accept their child as is? I think a lot of it is helping make
1: those those interactions and those engagements, but also showing them the great things that their child can do because every child comes to us with abilities and looking at where their strengths are and where their ability is, is um, the best way to help a family see everything, all the special ways that their child can can be and interact with them, and um, one of the things that I've really liked to do is is point out those those strengths and the little things. Um, just even if it's even as much as just an eye gaze and looking at something, and mm-hmm. telling us what they want that way, and and making sure the families understand that their child um, is able to do a lot of things. And we may have to change the way we do it a little bit, but they can they can all succeed.
0: Yeah. Do you think that we are reaching a point where there's less stigma about children being differently abled?
1: I think it's getting there. Yeah, Jeannie, I think um, now we're seeing, you know, a lot more acceptance and people are are more aware of different ways that children may be in a wheelchair to walk and and that's not such a big deal anymore um they may move a little bit differently and it's not such a big deal i i i think you're right i think we are getting a little bit past that stigma now where people aren't as afraid as they were in the past
0: yeah um I'm kind of hopping around with my questions today, so you know if I'm not moving in the right direction, make sure you grab me. I'm. You were talking earlier about um, you were you were taking care of a family with a baby, and that it focuses on play. And I'm wondering if, I mean, that must be sort of how you do it with the little ones, right?
1: Yes, you, play is do do the it? occupation. <laughs> <laughs> Plays the occupation of childhood. So, yeah. as an occupational therapist, I'm going to use the occupation that means the most to them. Um, and play is—I mean, everyone should play. You—you you should play. You know, people—people people play their entire life. They just change the way they play the games. Um, so, with a child, it's going to be tool. It's going to be using toys that are more age appropriate, but Um, just getting on the floor and I rarely sit in a chair. (laughs) I'm usually on the floor with the child and the family and we, we get down there and we put things out and it may be just changing how, where we position the toys. So if I'm working on shoulder strength, I might have the family put the toys up on a shelf a little bit higher so the child has to reach up more. Um, Hmm. it might be rolling over a ball and catching yourself with your hands. You know, it could be anything. There's so many different ways you can use toys. They don't always have to be used the way they were meant to be used. Um, Hmm. we can change them to, to meet our needs.
0: That's great. Yeah. Well, what else do you want parents to know about your work and what you do in the world?
1: One thing I'd like families to know is that um, y- you shouldn't be afraid to look at where your child is developmentally. You can use a lot of tools out there at Enable My Child. We've developed screenings that are in multiple different ages that will help a family determine where their child um, lies in the developmental range.
0: Okay, and wait, 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 wait. My ears just yes. picked up. Enable My huh. Child? What is it?
1: Oh, Enable My Child is a teletherapy company that um, focuses on pediatric development. And we we see children of all ages. Um, you know, we start with early intervention and we go up through school years and teenagers and all ages. And we just, we um, try to make therapy accessible
0: to everybody. Got it. Okay, great. And... How, so did you mention earlier before about an app that you were developing or working with? Yes, we're, we're
1: getting our app developed. It should be out in the fall. Um, so we're working on that. But if you just go to our webpage, we have a, a parent's corner that we've been developing. And we have a lot of free things there. We have free screenings for family members. Um, if a family member, if if the parent wants to talk to a therapist and just get advice, then we have that option. That's a free service that we offer where they can sign up and talk to a therapist. Um, and then we also have some tips that families can use if they're just looking for tips. We have a lot of different ways that um, that we're trying to help families and and give them as, as much ability to know where their child is and answer any questions they may
0: have. That's pretty cool. I love that. Sometimes technology is just the greatest thing.
1: Yeah, it can be. Yeah. And I I really enjoy it. And I found that um, through the use of technology, we're able to, we're able to meet a lot of needs. Whereas before people who weren't, in a good location may not have had access to the treatment they need it. Now you can do it through technology. So. Yeah. Uh,
0: so um, you and I are talking in July and it's, you know, still the height of COVID-19. Are you doing a lot of um, treatment or therapy through telehealth? We do. Well, we, have we, we were doing that before
1: COVID-19 um, and we've, We've continued since then. We've also done a lot of, um, we've tried to make our platform available to therapists so they have more access to doing teletherapy also. I myself will do treatments through teletherapy. um, And I was doing that prior to COVID-19, but since COVID-19, we've seen that increase significantly. But the important thing is to make sure the children still get their therapy because we have windows of opportunities to where we can make large gains and we want to meet those windows. Smart.
0: Yeah. Well, is there anything else that you want to make sure listeners know about where to find you or, you know, any other tips you want to leave before we do our rapid fire roundup questions?
1: No, I'm ready for the questions.
0: You're ready. (laughs) All right. All right. So, how would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that.
1: Is that the only lead-in? Yes. I think. No,
0: That's it. Ever. That's oh. it. Nobody <laughs> ever told me that.
1: That I would love my job this much.
0: Really? Oh. I don't know. I think you sounded like you got, when the bell rang, you knew you were going to love it right off the bat.
1: Yes, I I knew it was the right job for me, but I did not know how, how fulfilling
0: it would be. Oh, sweet. I like that. All right. My last question then is this, where do you stand in the world of motherhood? Oh, motherhood. That, that could take a long time, Jeannie. Uh, Take time. I, we got
1: a couple minutes. <laughs> I think motherhood is, it, it for me, it was the best thing that that I could do. The best choice. Um, I know that everyone makes their own decision, but when I became a mother, it was immediate love. <laughs> so, motherhood's such
0: a large topic. I mean, that's. Oh, I know. Just, this question I gets think, a lot of different answers it, from you know, you know people who are mothers, people who it's are it's not just mothers. Fantastic. The one thing that is a constant is everybody has a mother, mm. one way or another. They lost, lost <laughs> them again. Yeah, ah, we're well, back. <laughs> ah, oh, you and I have a funny connection today. Yeah, don't worry, we'll take care of it in the editing process. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, Shelley, I think it's been a great conversation. I really appreciate your sharing your work with us and uh, letting our listeners know where to find you. And that's when we give a shout out to your website.
1: Okay. we You can locate us at enablemychild.com.
0: Great. and Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining the conversation. We appreciate having you.
1: You're welcome. I've enjoyed it, Jeannie. Thank you. Bye-bye. bye
0: Bye-bye there'll be days like this, there'll be days like this, said, be Okay, that's it for this week, folks. We want to thank our sponsors, Green Chef and our guest, Dr. Shelly Dry. Come and find me over at Jean Email me, Jean at jean Faulkner. Tweet me, at Gene Faulkner, and find us on Facebook and Instagram at Pregnancy Parenting and Politics. Pregnancy Parenting and Politics is produced by Recluse Records. Let's talk next week. Bye-bye.
1: Look at